I don't mind doing the time. I just want to make sure my job's waiting for me when I get out. These are not my words, but the words of a friend of mine who just recently was released from jail. He has been doing pretty well for the last few years. But some circumstances happened that brought him to the place where he had to uh, face some outstanding warrants from further back than that. And so he said the judge gave him the opportunity to just do four months and then put all that behind him. And he said to me, I can do four months. I just hope I have a job when I get back out. I don't know. I mean, it seems like you must have some familiarity with the inside of a prison system or the jail system if you can say, I don't mind doing four months, right? And I want to be fair, um, not everybody who's served time in jail or prison is like they show us on TV and the movies. There are plenty of people who are behind bars right now and who have served time behind bars who are like you and me. By that I mean, I assume we've all made mistakes. If you've never made one, we're done here. Yeah, maybe you have made the kind of mistakes that would get you put in jail. Or maybe you haven't made the kind of mistakes that would get you put in jail and been caught. But we are the kind of people who live by grace, right? I mean, it's tempting, you know, for church folk to be pretty condemning towards somebody that is in jail or has been in jail. It's easy for us to look down our collective noses or our spiritual noses because it's easy for us to forget that we all live before God entirely by grace. Because if God were out to condemn anybody, we would all stand convicted and condemned. So I remind you of these words from Paul from the middle of the book of Romans, chapter 8, verse 1, by the way, which says, So now there isn't any condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And if there's no condemnation in Christ Jesus, I would argue there should be no condemnation condemnation in us either. So maybe you're not condemning towards my friend. Maybe you wouldn't be. Maybe that was an unfair assumption. But, you know, the world I walk in, if it weren't a friend of mine telling me this, my initial response would have been kind of condemning because it's, it's, uh, it's easy sometimes for me to forget how much I have been forgiven, how much I am still dependent on trusting God's faithfulness to work in and transform me. Because it's dangerous to trust God to change us. I mean, this is what we're all about from Easter Sunday until June 9th, Pentecost, um, the final Sunday of this Rise series. We're all about um, how the resurrection of Jesus, God's absolute utter victory over death, doesn't just give us an opportunity at, at eternity, but it gives us the ability to rise above anything that fear or death 
could throw at us. And one of the things that fear and death throw at us is a lack of willingness to expect God's love to change us. Are you willing to let God's love change you? Or, or do you think maybe God's love is only, only really needs to change those people who've done time in prison? Because it may be in the world that if you do the crime, you do the time. But in the kingdom of God, I like to think that, that things might work a little differently unless we're all ready and willing to do the time. But God tells us by Jesus taking all the hatred and evil that the world had to offer on himself and dying in our place, that God's verdict for us is life eternal. Karl Barth called it, called Jesus dying on the cross, the judge being judged in our place. So we let Jesus die the kind of death that we all, whether we done or deserved jail time or not that we all would otherwise face and yet we're free we're free from that condemnation we're free to live in this new way that god gives us but are we willing to let god change us that way are you willing to let god change your life or do you want to hang on to the control of your own life I mean, when we talk about grace and how good God's grace is for us and how much better God knows us than we know ourselves, it would seem obvious that we let God's love transform us. But if that seems obvious, then I would argue Teacher Appreciation Week doesn't make any sense. You know, this last week was Teacher Appreciation Week, so now it's safe for me to talk about it. I, I assume we have some teachers here, so let me, let me get on to my point. I'm not opposed to Teacher Appreciation Week, but I do wonder, why do teachers get a whole week of being appreciated when the typical professional or, or em, employee or fill-in-the-blank gets maybe one day? And if your category doesn't even get a day, I'm sorry, I didn't make the rules, but teachers get a week of appreciation. And I'm not saying they don't deserve it, but here's my theory on why we appreciate teachers for a whole week. Because we don't want to pay them what they're worth. So instead of paying teachers what they're worth, we've decided let's appreciate them for five consecutive days. Then they'll be happy. And teachers are really good people, so they tend to be happy. But the part of Teacher Appreciation Week that I wasn't really aware of until this year, at least at Bel Air Elementary School where my kids go, is Teacher Appreciation Week works like this. The week before, they send home a schedule of what teacher appreciation looks like on each of the days of the week. So on Monday, bring candy or something sweet. On Tuesday, um, bring something else. And see, I don't remember because it wasn't my responsibility. But it seems to me that if you want to be appreciated, wouldn't you feel more appreciated if you didn't have to tell somebody exactly how to make you feel appreciated? And before it sounds like I'm being too judgy about that, here's my half of a conversation I had less than two weeks ago with Rachel. Hey, Rachel, what was that thing you asked me to get for you for Mother's Day or you said you wanted for Mother's Day? No, no, exactly what was it? In fact, could you give me a link to it? Now, if the world worked the way it ought to work, we would all just show appreciation as it was 
due, and maybe even before it was due, but the world doesn't always work that way. But in this life that God has called us to live, to, to, to rise above the kind of life we would be stuck in if God hadn't defeated death, to rise into the kind of life that God has for us calls for faithfulness. And faithfulness includes showing appreciation for people. The way I've defined it for today is faithfulness is love lived out so that it becomes just expected, just the norm, reliable. So people who are faithful, you know what to expect from them. You know they'll at least ask you, huh, shouldn't use myself on the side of that. Hey, what was that I was supposed to get you for, Father, for Mother's Day? For somebody who's faithful, you know what to expect from them. And sometimes faithfulness actually surprises you. Like this sixth grade boy that I mentor at South Eulis Elementary School, I typically go down on Mondays and have lunch with him. This last Monday, I showed up and I walk into the office and I'm checking into the security system that they have and I get this bonus opportunity. Not only do I get to have lunch with him, I get to deliver his lunch because he forgot to bring it that morning. And his sister, who's just out of high school, took the time out of her day, whatever it was she was supposed to be doing, and went to Burger King and brought him a lunch and delivered it to the office, and then I got to take it to him. Now, that would be enough to be faithful, but that wasn't enough for this guy's sister. He knew, she knew that he liked his hamburger with mayonnaise. And Burger King, that used to be have it your way, now, apparently, at least in a kid's meal, if you want mayo on your burger, it comes in the form of a mayonnaise packet. But that's okay. Because this kid was pleased as punch that his sister cared enough about him to bring his lunch and, and that she, put a, she ordered a mayo packet. I'm more the kind of older sibling that if I got to go get a lunch, man, you're getting whatever I give you. But she was practicing faithfulness to her little brother by giving him something that he would want, that he would love, that he would know from that gift that she appreciated him, that she knew him and what his desires were. And faithfulness raises us. So a biblical example, perhaps the biblical example of faithfulness is Ruth. You all know Ruth. She was a Moabite woman. Her sister-in-law was Oprah. Wow, that fell deader here than it did at 8.30. Okay, her, her mother-in-law, Naomi, uh, Naomi and Elimelech and their two sons moved from Judah because there's a famine there into Moab and they set up life there and their two sons married two Moabite women, Orpah, which is that from which we get the English word Oprah because it was misspelled on a birth certificate and Ruth the more famous of the two. So these two Moabite women marry these two Jewish men and, and all the men in that family die. Elimelech, Naomi's husband die and their two sons die and so now it's just Naomi and her two daughters-in-law. And the scriptures tell us, Ruth chapter one tells us that Naomi is going back to her homeland and she tries to get her two daughters-in-law, widowed daughters-in-law now, to stay where they are in their homeland because she's not gonna be able to provide sons for them to marry anymore. And she convinces Orpah to stay there, but Ruth follows her. And Ruth says to her these famous words, wherever you go, I will go. Wherever you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people and your God will be my God. Now, taken as it is in Ruth chapter 1, 
This would be this incredible statement of faithfulness. But the rabbis teach us that it goes even deeper than that. Because in Ruth's day, the way a woman became Jewish was she married a Jewish man. So in a sense, Ruth was Jewish, but now her Jewish man that she married was dead. She could go back to being a Moabite, but she is faithful to her mother-in-law. And so rabbis teach us that actually what we get in Ruth chapter 1 as Ruth's statement of faithfulness is actually a dialogue that she has with Naomi. Because Naomi, remember, is still trying to get Ruth to stay with her own people. And so she gives her what becomes a model of, of a conversion test for someone who would want to become a Jew. Here is the dialogical version of Ruth's statement that we get from Ruth chapter 1. Hear Naomi say to Ruth when she's trying to get her to stay in Moab, do you know that we Jews have Sabbath walking limits? And Ruth's response is, wherever you go, I will go. Naomi says, do you know we have forbidden sexual liaisons? Ruth says, wherever you stay, I will stay. Hear these as Naomi's pushing these challenges, holding up to her what the bar is going to be. Naomi says, do you know that we Jews have 613 commandments? And Ruth says, your people will be my people. Naomi says, idol worship is forbidden to us. And Ruth says, your God will be my God. And then, I don't know if you caught it when Teresa read it, but the end of this, this section says, and then Naomi had nothing else to say to her. She stopped talking to her. So she laid out this, this test for Ruth and for Ruth's faithfulness. And Ruth basically said, I'm in. I'm faithful. Ruth's faithfulness became a model for us. And not only that, it, she followed Naomi, went with Naomi back to Judah, ended up marrying Boaz, and Ruth would become the great-grandmother of King David. She's one of only five women in Matthew's genealogy of Jesus. Because of Ruth's faithfulness, she's in the lineage for King David. Jesus said to those who were following him, you who are truly my disciples, you are truly my disciples, if you remain faithful to my teaching. Then, if you remain faithful to my teaching, then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Faithfulness. Faithfulness is, is love lived out in such a way that it becomes the expected, the norm, this, the, what you find reliable from another person. Faithfulness is Ruth bound in her commitment to Naomi to follow her, to be with her, to make her people Ruth's people, to make her God Ruth's God. Faithfulness is Jesus' disciples who remain faithful to his teachings. Faithfulness is an older sister caring enough for a sixth grade brother to order a mayo packet to put in his BK kids meal. Faithfulness is all the employees at a subway seeing this guy they haven't seen in four months walk in and come and surround him with hugs and welcome him back because they didn't have any condemnation about where he'd been or what had happened. They were just happy to see him back. 
So I know in a subway near here, there is faithfulness. What I wonder this morning, is there faithfulness in Euless First United Methodist Church? Will you rise faithful to all that God offers you?